these five articles, they are going back to the same thing. The interest rates are low. If there's new construction there, if there's things are moving quickly, if you've got qualified buyers, people want to come there, there's strong buyers. You know, it's it's nice to see that consistency amongst these articles because you can see what's kind of driving uh, this market. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Hey, Real Estate Rockstars. This is Aaron Muchistegi. Hey, you're about to listen to a special guest state of the market. So I reached out to Kelly Skevel. Kelly's been on a bunch of the state of the market podcasts with me uh, in the past. And I told her, hey, I'm traveling. Did you have somebody that you could get on with to record a special state of the market to go over some of the news that's out there and get their opinions on it? So Kelly reached out to another gal over in the office that she worked at. Karen Hollins. So here is a special state of the market with Kelly Skevel and Karen Hollins. And if you guys think that you would be great on a state of the market as a guest host of the state of the market, or if you think, hey, me and another person, we would be great at doing this for you. Reach out, send me a video, send me some, send me some tests of some of the stuff that you're doing, and maybe you will be the next ones that are our guest state of the market host. So here you go. Let me know what you think. Reach out to me. I'd love to hear how they did. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Kelly Skevel, guest hosting the State of the Market today, filling in for Aaron. And I have with me Karen Hollins here to chat about some articles. Karen, welcome. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me, Kelly. Excited to be here. Yeah, I appreciate it. Karen is a literal rock star agent, and she is on, her and I are on the same team, the Jolene Wright-Meyer McElhinney team here in Ithaca at Howard Hanna. So, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, Karen? Sure. I am uh, four years into real estate, started in real estate as a second career um, after raising a couple of kids and uh, jumping into it. I've been fortunate enough to work with Kelly uh, from the beginning on the Jolene Reitmeyer team, which has been outstanding. And I've been a longtime real estate investor in the Ithaca market, lots of rental properties, a lot like Kelly, and uh, really you know, kind of just hit the ground running. I, I really enjoy real estate, been following the market sales, and really been all in for the last four years. So I'm happy to share any insights from our market and looking forward to discussing these, you know, pretty interesting articles with you about, you know, 2022, what will it bring? Here we go. Yeah, I know, right? Is it going to be like a repeat or what are, what, what are you feeling? Like I, I, Aaron and I talked a little bit at the end of December, like what we thought, how we thought we were going to roll into uh, 2022. How, like what's your prediction? Of the year. Well, I feel like it's going to be a tough market for buyers. Again, I think inventory is going to be low. And I think a lot of times, you know, sellers that sold last year and were kind of caught up in the heat of it have had a little bit more time to think about where am I going to live if I sell my house, you know, because this is not a, it's not a problem that's only in our area and they can just buy a house somewhere else. So, you know, we're all wondering how will inventory be there? You know, will there be enough inventory uh, for all the buyers, for the demand that's out there. And I think most things are saying no, um, nothing's being built right now. You've got supply chain and costs are high. And so really, 
it'll depend on who's listing houses. I mean, going into this market, I think, I don't know about you, but the first couple of days of January, I was a little slow and thinking, are we going to get going? And then the next thing I know, my phone's blowing up. I wrote an offer today and I'm, I showed three houses today. They all came out of the gate with review periods. So that's a little that's a little sign into people are optimistic that they're going to have multiple bids again, first week of January. Yeah. And uh, as a buyer's agent working with clients right now, you know, I'm kind of waiting to see, will, will there be multiple offers? How high will it go? Is this going to be that type of year again? So I can start thinking about what I need to prepare my buyers for and what do I need to prepare my sellers for? Because they're tired from last year, both sides. And so it'll be a different uh, approach to preparing them to get into this market. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had said um, at the end of like December last year, when I was chatting with, not last, well, I guess it was last year when I was chatting with Aaron was the same thing that in 2020, 2021, you know, January 1st, 2nd, like obviously a little quiet. And then the third, boom, my phone rang and I was running the whole year. Um, so, and, and I've noticed the same thing. I would say that so far into this year, it hasn't like what the, what are we seven days in? Yeah. I don't, I think I was already busier last year, but still I'm getting uh, a lot more showings on some of the listings I have. So yeah, it's definitely started off busy again. So we'll see. All right, let's jump into the articles. So I sent these over to Karen. I didn't really give her a lot of time to uh, review them. <laughs> um, let's see. How about, do you have them pulled up in front of you? Yeah, I do. I just pulled up that one we were talking about um, in the for sale by owner. Is it, oh, yeah, let's, let's is it worth one. the effort? Yeah, so this is from Inman. This just like, a, it can, looks like it came out just today. Uh, the headline is for sale by owner homes hit 40 year low is it even worth the effort? Most homeowners who forego an agent are selling to someone they know, leaving a small group that fends for themselves on the open market, several new reports reveal. I mean, it's a fantastic topic. I think in any, in any market, you're always going to have a share for sale by owners. And, you know, as a, as a real estate investor, as you know, I never like to say someone can't sell a house on their own, but in an, in a market with such low inventory, um, making up that difference of that, side of commission, whatever it would be to me, seems like it, it wouldn't be worth the effort, especially if you're selling to a friend, because I, I mean, a lot of this market is uh, getting people to bid the price up and compete with one another. And, and that is hard to do without a, without a large audience. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if I was selling a property on my own, I'd want it to get in front of as many eyes as it could. We're all out here with a list of buyers. They all want property. Yeah. So, okay. So let's check out this first article here from Inman. It was, uh, looks like it, they, it came out today for sale by owner homes hit 40 year low. Is it even worth the effort? Most home homeowners who forego an agent are selling to someone they know, leaving a small group that fends for themselves on the open market, on the open market, several new reports reveal. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I love for sale by owner. I love approaching a seller that wants to do it on their own. It shows a level of confidence in knowing the market and knowing their house. And it means you've got an active seller. And, you know, a lot of times I tell you, you know, you can cut your own hair too, but most people don't. And, you know, <laughs> there's a reason for that, especially in a down market. I mean, selling a for sale by owner and, you know, giving them a listing presentation is challenging. But in this market, I feel like 
it's a lot easier. Um, it's, you know, it's, I, you know, one of the analogies I use, you're going to an auction, do you want five people to be there or 500 people to be there? Um, if you're trying to get the highest price, putting in front of the most eyes over a compressed amount of time and driving up demand drives up the price. And most sellers, right. that's what they're looking for. So it shouldn't be too hard of a pitch in this market. And, you know, as it was saying that most people are selling to a friend. And I think, you know, selling to a friend is great when it's like, yeah, I like your house. I'd like to buy it. Uh, negotiating with a friend is very hard, you know, so yeah. selling to a friend is easy, but negotiating the minutia of, you know, this window sticks and this toilet handle doesn't work is a little bit more tricky. Yeah. So I think, yeah, uh, I, yeah. I think when people um, come down to see the value of an agent and it's our job as agents uh, to, you know, let them know what exactly we do for them, especially in this hot market, because yeah. I, it's like any good consumer. If it takes me 48 hours to sell your house, you might be thinking, well, you know, what am I paying for? So I do believe us as agents really have to do a good job um, in our marketing, in presenting what we do for sellers, even though we're doing it on a compressed timeline, um, in order to have a great listing in a hot market and to drive up that demand, we've got to be, you know, we've got to put together a fantastic package, whether it be 48 hours on the market or seven days, you know, I think it's important for us to sell that we can put out a product that, you know, really demands us and we'll get that price up for the seller. Yeah, I yeah, definitely. Uh, when you're in this market, when you're competing for listings, people have agents have really had to step up their game. It goes on it, it, to, to what you were saying about, you know, the FISBOs is they say here, NAR survey puts numbers to this finding that homes listed with an agent sell for a median price of 318,000 compared with a median price of 260,000 for homes listed by their owners. So what is that like 58,000 that they potentially are leaving on the table if they list it themselves? Yeah. I'm not very good at math. Um, <laughs> somewhere in the ballpark there. It's a lot, you know, if, you know, if it's like you can have 260 or 318, I think you're taking the 318. Yeah. And I would wonder too, you know, looking at any data can be skewed, but how long does it take to sell if you're selling yeah. on your own? How many deals fall through and what's the emotional toll of, of taking it all on yourself? So yeah. um, certainly part of strategizing as a buyer's agent in this market is putting forth a fantastic offer. So it's not just the price that I think a competitive market drives up. It's the quality of the offer, quality in the eyes of the seller. Right. So is it a clean offer with less contingencies and easier to close? And, you know, so people are really putting it all out there to try to acquire property. So it's not just being able to sell it, but and the, the price that you get, but the type of offer and the ability to close it on your own terms. So yeah. sellers are not only able to get high prices, they're able to set terms. And, you know, that's all these articles. One of the things I keep hearing in, in almost all of them is sellers are in the driver's seat. And, you know, when you're in the driver's seat, you know, you don't have to sit in the back. So yeah. I would say use an agent and take advantage of your moment here because, you know, will it last forever, I guess. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui for a quick commercial break. So during 2020 and 2021, the real estate market completely changed. There's so much competition in the market, so many people trying to buy and sell houses, but there's hardly any supply, hardly any product, hardly anyone willing to list their homes. It's time for every agent out there to become a hybrid agent investor to be able to reach out directly to homeowners to try to get them to sell or list their house. We've got a new website. Go to leadpropeller.com and you can set up your own investor buyer website in just minutes. 
You'll set up your own URL, set up phone numbers, help go through leads, help reach out to people that aren't listing their pro- their property currently and have them fill out a form that says, hey, I want to sell my house. And then as an agent, you can go through and make them a hybrid offer. You can tell them, hey, I think your house would sell for $220,000 on MLS, but I can either write you a $180,000 cash offer right now, or I can help you fix it up and you'll list it for $220,000 on MLS. These are buyers that are looking for quick cash offers. Tens of thousands are submitting these forms every single day and they're skipping the listing process. But so many of you guys out there are such good agents, it's a great opportunity to get that lead and help them maximize sales price for their home. So again, go to leadpropeller.com and think about signing up for your own investor site so buyers will start reaching out to you, asking you to make an offer on their home. Yeah, we don't know. But for now, for agents, you know, now, especially, you know, people, I did, you farmed Fizbo's for a little bit. Did you do Fizbo's? Um, I, did you I did everything, Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> in my first <laughs> year, I would take anything. In my first and second year, I would take anything I can get my hand on. Absolutely. I talk to people about Fizbo's um, yeah. all the time. Yes. Have you noticed a drop in them? Like um, in our market, have you seen that? Like, do you, do you feel like this this article is true to our market. Is there, are you seeing less Fizbo's than, than when you first started? You know, to be honest, I haven't paid as much attention to them because it, as my business has grown, um, I haven't had to go out and, and pitch Fizbo's as yeah. much. I do look at the sheet when it comes in. I look at specific areas to see, especially target areas for me. Is there a house on here that I think I would want to list? But you know, the sheet that I look at still looks pretty full. Um, and it'll be interesting in this market. I don't blame sellers for wanting to take a crack at it, especially when you're reading all this media all the time. Yeah. How much I can get for my house. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I think there is that initial, like, let's give this a shot. Um, and I don't begrudge anyone taking a shot at it. I just no. think statistically, if the goal is to get the highest price, and that doesn't always have to be the goal. But if it is the goal, then I think listing's the way to go. Yeah. I Obviously, I agree with you. <laughs> Ah, all right, let's see. What do we have out next? What about this one from the Washington Post? It says, no, the housing market isn't a bubble, isn't in a bubble, but there still are many things to worry about in 2022. So this is a topic. I don't know if you just ha- if you're having this conversation all the time, but I feel like constantly with other investors, agents, and clients, I'm having this conversation. Like, are we in a bubble? Is, is there going to be a crash? What is what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's certainly a question that we get a lot. Is this a bubble? And, you know, I can only speak for our market because I haven't studied other people's markets as much. Um, but I do think, you know, some of the points that they made in here were what are the, you know, what are the signals? Like, how do we, how do you tell if you're in a, in a bubble? Um, are interest rates going to stay low? Is the housing prices going to outpace the rental prices? And what are people that are renting doing with the money they're not spending on a house? So, yeah. you know, if I'm sitting around with a $30,000 down payment and the stock market is struggling, then that's going to have an effect on whether or not people are buying houses. Same thing with construction and supply chain, if there aren't houses to buy. So there's there's a lot of moving pieces in trying to figure out, is this a bubble or is it not? I think from our market, we're seeing... so. I think one, obviously, lending now is stronger. They're not, you know, we don't have these, you know, two-year adjustable rate mortgages and things that got people into buying during, you know, 2008 and nine. Um, so that piece of the puzzle, these are a lot of people that are investing in houses are taking a 30-year fixed mortgage with a good chunk of money down, usually as much money as they can put down. That's what I'm seeing in my buyers. They're 
borrowing money from mom and dad. They're putting down big chunks of money. They're not buying things and, and flipping. I'm not seeing that as much. And I think that's a good sign for saying we're not in a bubble. Yeah. Um, I think rents, because we live in a really high rent area, it would be, we'd have to have quite a market for mortgages to outpace rentals. As someone that owns many rental units, my rents are at market value, which in Ithaca is very, very high. And when I talk with renters, do you want to rent another year? Do you want to buy? At the end of that year, they're going to be $20,000 less in their bank account when they go to buy the following year. So unless they've got that nest egg in a really good fund or something that's earning uh, at, a, at a great rate, then it probably makes more sense for them to buy. So, you know, looking at those things, and, and I know this article, I don't know if, you know, when you were reading it through, it talks about flips too, about our people flipping properties and how quickly are they flipping them. And, um, you know, in certain markets, it seems like it was more rural markets than, than urban markets that people are still flipping. But to me, the cost of even houses that you might flip is so high that I can't see an end game on making money on them. Um, you know, in, in our market, at least if someone's financing yeah. it because of the appraisal values. So yeah, in my experience too, in our market. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a bubble to me because of the types of buyers that I'm seeing in our community. Um, a lot of out of town buyers, climate refugees, uh, people that want to be in a, you know, that are coming from the West that are coming from, you know, Oregon, California, they want to get away from fire or they want to get away from hurricane, you know, lots of climate refugees coming to this area. And I, I don't see that stopping people that can work from home. The change in the demographic of people being able to work from home and work from anywhere seems to be drawing a lot of people to our area. Now, these other hot areas on here, it's hard to say, like they're saying Tampa and San Antonio and uh, Tucson and those areas. I, it's, you know, everything's going to be a little different based on location, but it doesn't feel bubbly to me personally being out there in the market. How does it feel to you? I, that's, I've been maintaining the same thing. I don't feel like we're in a bubble. Um, I'm in, I would say, I, I'm trying to think if there's anybody I've talked to with like real solid knowledge, uh, you know, in real estate that's in the game that feels like we're in a bubble either. I can't say that I can think of anybody that's said that they think we're in a bubble. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like it's, it's a topic that's come up a lot in the last like yeah, I mean, it's come up a lot for a couple of years, but seems more so since the pandemic hit and the, the increase in house, housing prices that we're seeing. Um, well, I think people want to know, I mean, some of these averages are saying people on average are paying 50 per, or 15% more. So, I mean, if I'm buying in a market and I know I'm overpaying by a couple of years ago standard, you know, then I'm wondering too, is this house going to be worth more in five years, in seven years, in 10 years? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the question gets asked more now because of the, all the news and all the dramatics around, you know, if you're making an offer and you're one in 10 people, well, of course you're wondering like, hey, yeah. am I overpaying? I so, Yeah. And it's a good question too. Like you said, if you're, you know, if you're the one buying and you're seeing these prices just like keep shooting up. It says yeah. just in the past year, the price for a typical home is up almost 20%. And in about one fourth of the nation's 400 plus metropolitan areas, prices have rocketed by more. Even in the mid 2000s, just before that housing bubble burst, fewer than one fifth of uh, metro areas had seen annual price increases so much or as much. Yeah, it's it's an amazing increase in the last couple of years of what's happening with housing and how COVID has affected um, people's behaviors, what they do, where they can work. 
especially with supply chain and construction and all those things. It's almost like the perfect storm. Um, but I continue to see new buyers coming to our market, new clients coming this way. Um, and it just seems like there's no end in sight. There was, uh, I read an article a while ago, and I think Aaron and I read it on, on here. It said that most of, and I'm, I'm probably going to misquote it, but basically the gist of it was like most of the buyers mortgaging um, homes that they're purchasing had a really, they had really high credit scores. Like it was like something like 80 or 85% of them had credit scores like over 750, I think. Like it was, it was a very strong number. Like it was, it was impressive, which for me leads me to believe that no, we're not in a bubble. Like we've got people who can afford the mortgages that they're getting. And like you said, putting large down payments down more than just the 5%. Yeah, well, and I think too to get a house because it's so competitive to get a house that if you you know if you don't have a strong offer, it's probably not going to get accepted. Yeah, you know, so you know people that if they're not pre-qualified, if they don't have big money down, if they're not thinking about appraisal gap coverage, and you know, so it would be very hard to purchase a house in this market if you didn't have a really strong uh, portfolio to put forward. So I agree, the people that are getting houses um, are well qualified and i don't think they're going to have that same risk of getting in over their heads and then you know needing to foreclose uh, that was yeah. one of the points they made in here is that foreclosures are down um you know because some of the protections from 2008 you know so some of the banking that's changed since then has helped make sure that this isn't a bubble in some ways but um it's you know it's fascinating to watch and especially looking at the demographics coming forward with millennials and baby boomers in the next you know eight to ten years how they're predicting um you know, those big buyers coming to their first homes in the next, you know, eight to 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I like, I like having, I like talking about whether or not we're in a bubble. I, I wasn't an agent uh, or a homeowner um, with the crash in 2008. I bought, we bought our first house in 2009. So right on, we, we came right after. Yeah. Right after. Yeah. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Mujistegi and I'm interrupting myself to bring you this commercial break from one of our sponsors. And I know, I know you guys would much rather listen to the content and not the ads and not the sponsors, but this is one that I'm actually super, super excited with. You know, so many of the realtors that we interview on the show, they talk about how much systems are important and how much follow-up is important. And I'm really, really excited about our new sponsor. There's somebody I've been looking at for a long time. And when they reached out to me, I said, yes, we have to be able to do this deal. So that sponsor is Follow Up Boss. You know, on an interview last week with Agent Mark McGuire, I asked him what his favorite software and what his favorite system was. And he said it was Follow Up Boss. And then he went on for another three or four minutes to talk about why Follow Up Boss was the best CRM he uses. So there's a lot of superstars out out there that use Follow Up Boss. Some of the stats they gave me, Robert Slack, 1.5 billion team in Florida, number one in the US. He uses Follow Up Boss to get a 400% ROI on its massive paid lead spend. Deborah Beagle, co-owner of the Ashton Group in Nashville, uses Follow Up Boss to guarantee the agents who join her team get two homes under contract in the first 90 days. That's a big guarantee for new agents. Barry Jenkins of the, your friends in real estate uses Follow Up Boss to automate everything so his team can produce 200 million on 25 hour work weeks. All right, so here's an offer. You guys are gonna get this special for being Real Estate Rockstars listeners. Now I've, I've used Follow Up Boss. We've actually used it in our non real estate businesses as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing. And what do, what do you know, best name ever, Follow Up. So here's what we got. 
for Real Estate Rockstars listeners, you get a 30-day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com forward slash rockstars. So again, followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30-day free trial, and check it out, especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet. This will be a great one for you to start with. All right, everybody, thanks again. Now back to our show. Should you rent or buy a home? Prices are surging in both cases, which makes it complicated. Have you noticed rents are, do you feel like rent, uh, rental rates are going up in our market? What's been your take on that? Yeah, it's tricky. In some of my units, my rents are up. In others, um, it's been a little challenging with people out with COVID, uh, you know, people that it, we've had some trouble collecting some of our rents along the way in the last couple of years because it's been really tough on people. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, some of my rents are high. It depends on the location. And this market is such you know, we're such an interesting rental market having the two colleges that we always have, you know, demand for rental properties. So they, I am able to keep really stable rents and I do raise my rents every year and they are high. Um, I don't feel like they're, uh, you know, I don't feel like there's been a big surge mm, and maybe yeah. some of that is just in, in, you know, I've been a landlord for a long time. So I'm at the stage in the game where I'm happy to keep my tenants happy, yeah. you know, so it's like, don't rock the yeah, boat, especially during tenant. COVID yeah. and, you know, with all the moratoriums and things on evict, you know, you're really kind of just along for the ride as the landlord. So, you know, if they're happy and they're paying the rent and, you know, so I've, I've been the last two years while people are trying to get through COVID, I've just kind of left things alone. Yeah. Um, but I'd say overall, I don't see any reduction in rent. I haven't heard of anyone having to slash prices to get tenants. Yeah. It says uh, <laughs> home prices are rising faster than rents, which is which is shrinking the affordability gap between being a homeowner and a tenant. Single family homes are less affordable than they have been in just over three quarters of the U.S., the highest total in 13 years, according to a real estate data tracker. Home ownership is more affordable than renting in suburban and rural areas, but it's cheaper to rent in the big cities. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I think you can see a small microcosm of that in Ithaca. It, you know, to, to rent downtown is probably cheaper to buy downtown because yeah. downtown pro walkable downtown property is at such a high price point. But I could certainly rent, you know, five miles out of town and have a better deal. I think, you know, th the hardest part with these, you know, the young home buyers is, do they have the down payment and and rents are so high, even rural rents, that how do you save a down payment when you're paying fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred, two thousand dollars a month in rent? Yeah. So that makes it really tricky for the average, you know, young person trying to buy a home unless they have help from their parents or they have help from somebody to create that nest egg. Because, you know, again, I can see it if you, you know, if you're three percent down or you have a cosigner, you're five percent down and you're going up against you know, people that have lots of cash or they have 25% down, it does become very hard to buy a home. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm seeing the, I think I have more seasoned buyers because of out of town buyers than I have first time home buyers. Um, I have a few, a handful of first time home buyers and it's a very tricky a playing field for them to acquire a house because sometimes we're seeing even houses in the 180 to 250 range still getting, you know, six, seven, eight offers and yeah. still being bid up into a price range that they were never shopping in in the first place. So, you know, I can see that um, it's going to be complicated with rent and to buy. 
But we all know that owning a home leads to such long-term wealth and how long do you hang on renting? Um, and, and then not to know, should I buy now? Is it going to get worse? Could it get more yeah. and more and more expensive to live here? Or, you know, do I need to just move further away in order to acquire a property? So, you know, they're tough questions and um, it's, it's challenging to, you know, to really advise someone. I think a lot of it has to do with where is their nest egg when they're renting? And is it earning for them? Um, is it in something that's earning for them? Because if it's sitting in a savings account, then, you know, that may not be the best place to put it. Yeah. It, uh, it goes on to say rents are also up, especially for single family homes, which have been in high demand during the pandemic. Single family rents increased 10.9% in October 2021 compared to the year earlier period. A sixth, a sixth consecutive record high, according to CoreLogic. So yeah, they're saying, and I've heard people, you know, people I know across the country saying that they've been able to really increase their rents. And I've heard that across the country rents are, are continuing to increase. How about your properties? Are you raising rents this year? Or are you sticking with what you've got? I kind of do the same thing as you. Like I've been, I, I've owned them long enough, been around long enough that I don't really, if I have a good tenant, um, I try not to, to raise the rents. I'm just trying to keep them happy. When they turn over, that's when I raise the rents. Um, otherwise I haven't since the pandemic, if, if they've stayed, if they've paid their rent, they've been a good tenant. Uh, I don't want to rock the boat. Cause like you said, especially here in New York state with, with, there's, you know, we still have, I think the moratorium is still in effect in New York state one. I believe it is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's just, it's with a tenant friendly state as it is, I don't want to rock the boat and risk losing good tenants to potentially get not so good tenants. So, so yeah, same, same thing. But as they turn over, I bring them up to market. So it's fine. <laughs> Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui with a quick commercial break. Now you've been listening, you've been waiting, and now the big rent ready mystery can be revealed. Rent ready just launched rental property accounting for landlords. It's so new. I haven't even got a chance to check it out yet. Now you can easily connect your rental properties from rent ready to an accounting software created specifically for landlords with rent ready's newest partner, REI hub. Now I've used a lot of payment processing systems in the past, and it's always been a challenge even asking them to generate APIs so it can talk to our existing systems. And they're really, any software that collects payments doesn't make it very easily to do that. But now with Rent Ready, you can automatically transfer properties and charges from your Rent Ready profile. You can track your income and expenses with matching rules and payment templates to speed up your bookkeeping. View your profit and loss or cash flow by property or unit. Get your portfolio's balance sheet, schedule ease, and more. Guys, we're so excited about this and here's something even more exciting. As always with Rockstars, you get a special, special opportunity. If you're not currently using Rent Ready, you can sign up using our special code ROCKSTAR50 and get 50% off your Rent Ready subscription. Once you set up your properties, you can add rental property accounting as a premium feature. If you're currently using Rent Ready, go check out the new accounting features designed to save you time and money while you manage your business. And remember, it's Rent Ready with an I at the end, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com. Thanks for listening. Go check them out. The trend is slowly shifting towards renters, which could be a major force in easing price increases in 2022, said Todd uh, Teda or Tita, Chief Product Officer with ATTOM. Prices can only go up by so much more before renting becomes financially easier. For now, though, rising wages and interest rates around 3% are enough to offset recent price run-ups and keep ownership on the plus side of the affordability ledger compared to renting. And I think supply and demand and renting has to be factored in there too. Are there places to rent? 
and, and what are their locations? Yeah. So, I mean, here we're in a, you know, there is a lot of construction when it comes to uh, rents, you know, rentals are, are, there's more and more and more, but, you know, that'll play a role too. If there is nowhere to rent, then will people be looking to, you know, to buy and how long they'll be here? Yeah, I, uh, I have actually had clients, so I am 100% occupied. I have uh, been for a while. I haven't had vacancies in like two years. Like if I, I can usually rent something right away, but I've had clients who have had to rent because they can't find a place, you know, that they can't find a home to buy. I've had clients that have had to go and find rentals say that it's been really difficult to find rentals lately. You know, I, for a while I was hearing landlords in the Ithaca area say that they were, their vacancies were increasing. Um, I wonder if that has gone back down for landlords in the area. Yeah, I wonder, especially at the end of the market, like end of October, when people that didn't get a house needed to sign a lease, you know, if, if there's some ebb and flow with the cycles of home buying and then deciding, okay, we're going to wait a year and we're going to rent. So, yeah. And, and how short-term rentals might affect that Airbnbs and other things where are people living in the, in the interim, because getting that timing, the trickiness of dealing with tenants is trying to time up uh, their leases and, you know, when they're out of their lease. And so there's a lot of timing that goes into it as well. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, in the beginning, when we started to see the housing market take off and really become this strong seller's market, it didn't occur to me that it would trickle into the rental market too, and that we would, you know, see our vacancy rates go down. Um, as a landlord, I've enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah, and well, and the other thing is too is seeing um, demand for. I mean, I I think rental properties in our market have been a little bit insulated. I mean, there are not people. There are not ten offers on rental properties. But if your rental property could be a single family or is, has a unit nice enough to live in and have an income apartment, then we're seeing, you know, some of those buyers buying houses that they weren't really looking for, duplexes. You know, I've had yeah. clients say, well, I'll buy a single family, but hey, if there's a good rental property, I could live in that during this housing uh, shortage. And then I'll just have a rental property when I'm done and I'll buy the house that I want. So, you yeah, know, even for people, you know, that have rental properties, if they're not just being looked at as an investment as somewhere that a person can live, um, you know, they may have some good luck as well when it comes to, to potentially selling as opposed to holding. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in our market. Yeah. I, and I've had a couple clients do that too. I've actually had, I've, um, I, you know, have a profile on bigger pockets and I'm active on there. And I just recently picked up a couple different clients that were moving to the area and happened to look me up on bigger, bigger pockets. So the younger, the, the younger generation that's getting into buying are all about getting duplexes and having or multi-units and having, you know, living in one unit and having their mortgage paid down by tenants. And that like, of course, speaks, you know, speaks to my soul. So I like, I like that, but that's been interesting that I feel like I've more than ever in my career as an agent have seen uh, clients come out and be willing to, to look at multi-units rather than just single families getting really creative. It's great when you see, especially young investors. I have a young client I just talked with yesterday who, you know, he, he bought a, he bought a single family house for me. And then uh, two years later, their dream house came up. So they bought it, kept it, a, they kept their original house as a rental. 
And he asked me, you know, is it time to sell? And we talked about it a little bit and, you know, just reminding him what a fantastic position he's in. He's got a great house. Um, You know, his mortgage is 1450. His rent is 2100. He's only, I don't know, 29 years old. And, you know, you don't feel, you know, necessarily the cash flowing wealth because he's got to put a lot back into the property to keep it up. But that long-term investment, if they can buy a rental property, live in one side, have some offsetting costs, um, you know, coming in so that they can keep their house nice and build that equity, such a smart play for younger buyers. I mean, it's it's what I did with my first house and uh, it really was able to start a snowball of being able to buy my next property and then go on from there. That's exactly it. It's the snowball effect is, uh, I think until you truly experience it, you don't really understand how great it can be. So this was an interesting one from Zillow. This is, so the headline is why Tampa will be 2022's hottest market. The Sunbelt dominates Zillow's list of hottest housing markets for the second year in a row. Tampa, Jacksonville, Raleigh, San Antonio, and Charlotte are expected to lead the U.S. Last year's hottest market, Austin, fell to number 10 this year. Austin is where Aaron, the host of uh, Real Estate Rockstars, that's where he is. New York, Milwaukee, San Francisco, and Chicago are expected to be the coolest housing markets in 2022, but sellers will have the upper hand even in cooler markets. Yeah, Tampa. So there you go. Um, <laughs> no, right? we, don't, we don't really know a lot about Tampa because we're not down there. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I've been to Florida plenty of times. Tampa's a nice place, but yeah, I imagine if they've got a lot of inventory and they've got great weather and, um, you know, t- a lot of Florida has a lot of nice places to live, obviously. And, and, you know, people love that climate. So it's interesting. I wonder, you know, in the specifics of it, what makes Tampa, they're not, what are they projecting there as far as what are people buying and what's drawing them there? Is it young people that are coming uh, to Tampa and, and looking at the other cities, uh, you know, Raleigh, and I'm not surprised San Antonio, Jacksonville, Charlotte, yeah. those, those are, you know, those are hot cities for sure. So they don't surprise me. Um, I was a little surprised to see San Francisco as cooling off, but you know, because that's been such a, a hot spot, such a tech bubble there, you know, New York. I mean, obviously, lots of people have left New York City after COVID. Yeah. And, you know, I've thought myself, is this the time to buy in New York? Should I buy a flat in New York? You know, uh, but, you know, New York is, is uh, who doesn't love New York? So I think, <laughs> I think it'll bounce back. Um, but even in the cool markets, they're saying, you know, it's, it's a cool market, but it's still a, a seller's cool market. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, you know, relative, right? Like, <laughs> for sure. And, you know, you can't compete with the Sunbelt. I mean, the Sunbelt does dominate, um, you know, people, especially in, with all the, the climate changes and things that people really like to be in the nice weather now and, and be a little protected from it all. But yeah, it was interesting to read this and see, you know, what Zillow is predicting. Yeah, it says Jacksonville, Raleigh, San Antonio, and Charlotte fill out the list of the top five hottest markets in 2022, each buoyed by a combination of strong forecasted home value growth, strong economic fundamentals, including high job growth, fast moving inventory, and plentiful likely buyers. Additionally, these markets have historically not been particularly sensitive to rising mortgage interest rates or slowly a slowing stock market to risk factors for housing and the economy overall at the, as the calendar's turn. It's interesting. <laughs> thinking maybe we could start a little satellite office down in Tampa, you and I, you know, we should go down I'm and check it out. <laughs> I'm all about that. <laughs> that nice, nice place to start. Yeah, I'm all about that. I'll do that. Yeah. Um, let's see what else here. Uh, home value growth in 2021 consistently broke records both nationally and many, well, we know that this this growth has been fueled by historically low mortgage rates. They're still talking about the price growth 
as a reason. Inventory and velocity. They touched on all of this stuff. Job market and building. Oh, anywhere has it got anywhere that has inventory, and you know, I mean, it's fun to see over the these five articles. They are going back to the same thing. The interest rates are low. If there's new construction there, if there's things are moving quickly, if you've got qualified buyers, people want to come there. There's strong buyers. You know, it's it's nice to see that consistency amongst these articles because you can see what's kind of driving uh, this market when there's job growth, when people are investing into cities. You you know, the yeah. prices are going up, houses are selling, and uh, you know that makes it a hot place to to be in. So I think you know Tampa's obviously doing something right. Yeah. They say uh, in the demographics, the baby boomers and millennials represent two enormous generations, both very active in the housing market. I was just, I was, uh, side note, I was reading an article earlier about millennials being really like, really very active right now in the housing market. That's interesting. Yeah, I have, I have a few millennial buyers and I do, I do think that's what they're forecasting the next eight to 10 years is baby boomers will be, you know, either moving towards grand, you know, if they're going to be with their families, um, moving to where kids are, moving to where grandkids are, moving to, you know, to better weather, to smaller houses. And then what are millennials buying when they're, and they're coming in? What do they, what do they expect um, in the buying process? So understanding those groups of buyers, what's important to them, what do they like in design, you know, just seeing how their tastes will drive things when it comes to, you know, purchasing homes um, is always interesting to see, you know, what are they looking for? What do, what do they like when they're looking at a house? Yeah. Um, because when baby boomers were building and buying so different than what kids want, you know, what, what people want now and how we live yeah. together in, in houses, whether it be aging in place or we having uh, parents live with us and, you know, income apartments, Airbnbs, all these different things now working from home offices, uh, granny pods, you know, all these different things that are now coming, how, um, you know, what will they be buying and what will be attractive to them? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, uh, yeah, it's, I like working with the baby boomers and the millennials actually I like working with everybody, but yeah, it's interesting because they are definitely on opposite ends of the spectrum right now. Right. For sure. All right. Last article, I think, right. We only have one more. Yeah. There was a one from the times that had, um, I'm trying to get that one up. It had a lot of, um, uh, some houses, uh, it was giving you yeah. some ideas on, on, uh, yeah, this nice Cape house in Maine. I was thinking about for 1.25 million. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it says what, yeah. what 1.3 million gets you. So 1.3 million homes in Maine, New, Maine, New Mexico, and New York. So they talk about a colonial revival home in Cape Elizabeth, a desert house in Ta- How do you say this? Taos? Uh, Taos. Yeah. And in 1880, Victorian in Greenport, which, where, do you know how far Greenport is from us in New York? I, I think it's down um, near Long Island. Itself. Yeah, I think it's down, it's probably about four hours. Yeah, yeah somewhere yeah. in that range. Yeah, so it says that in uh, Cape Elizabeth, Maine, uh, 1.25 million will get you a, a colonial revival built in 1914 with four bedrooms, one and a half baths, two, one two one-bedroom and one-bathroom guest apartments on a 1.4-acre lot. The just shy of 5,000 square feet, and the price per square foot is 252 Interesting. Yeah, that was very interesting to see that house, um, you know, being someone that lives in an old 1800s house. <laughs> yeah. I'll sell you mine for $1.3 million. <laughs> We got a lot of old houses up here you can buy for a lot less. Than I know. <laughs> but to be in that location, I mean, it looks like a beautiful home for sure. Um, yeah. You know, to be in that location is an interesting property. And then when you compare it against the other two, um, to see what that amount of money being near a major city will will buy you. 
Yeah, they said the taxes on this are about 16000 estimated, 16000 That's similar to Ithaca, too. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I was thinking. Yeah. So this one in New Mexico, so this is a new, so $1.25 million in New Mexico gets you a, a 2001 house with four bedrooms, three baths on a 1.4-acre lot, a little less square footage, 3,200 square feet. The price per square foot's up a little bit, 391 per square foot. But it's New Mexico, and uh, you know that that's a nice uh, night. That would be a great place. Lots of sun there. I, I mean, it's beautiful to see this kind of architecture because we don't have any of these style homes. Yeah, we don't. So I'm always drawn to you know I want a courtyard. Of course, in New York, it would just be covered in snow. It would just no. be a snow yard. But you know, to see this size house on a you know 1.4 acre lot, it really looks it really looks stunning. Uh, my favorite part about this is the taxes are estimated to only be 4,500. A year. <laughs> yes, that that would be a wonderful uh, on, yeah. on 1.3 million to have $4,500 in taxes would be fantastic. Yeah. What's that here in Ithaca? What do you get? Like, uh, like 180,000. Like it's definitely under two. You have to be like under 200, right? Yeah. At about $33 a thousand. That doesn't give you a lot of meat on the bone. <laughs> no. This last one is Greenport, New York. So we are up in Ithaca, New York. We're like in the central New York. So Greenport, they're saying this one's down. Uh, a bustling village on the North Fork of Long Island. So that's, you said like four, four hours. Yeah, four and a half hours, yep. From us. So this is an 1880 Victorian house with five bedrooms, three baths on just uh, under a half acre, 4,000 square feet. Price per square foot, you know, obviously right around there, 325. Um, yeah, I mean, a Victorian is gorgeous. Being, and, and of course, if you're working in New York and you're commuting into the city, you're on Long Island, you know, you have, you know, you have ocean, you've got a beautiful Victorian, you know, I can see an 1880s house. I mean, it looks stunning. You can, you can see the, the value there of just being, you know, close to everything to be able to commute yeah. into the city yeah, um, yeah. is a huge benefit to anyone that, you know, that works in New York. So I can see, and this one is divided up into two units, which is interesting because uh, Victorians traditionally are, you know, kind of choppy. They're not known for yeah. their open floor yeah. plans. So it's a little bit easier to turn them into two units or, I mean, lots of Victorians around here are two units, three units. Um, but you can see, I mean, they can't see in the, the pictures, some of the really looks like they've kept a lot of the architectural details, the windows, um, just a beautiful trim work. So this is a real appealing house um, out of these three. Yeah, it's pretty. The taxes are only uh, eleven thousand eight hundred. They're saying estimated on this one. It's cheaper than the one in Maine. Yeah, and it's a two unit, so you can help someone living in half to offset those costs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which we love. You and I both love that. We could we could split this house, Kelly. Which yeah. house you on? <laughs> that sounds good. I have no idea why I would need to be down there, but we can do that. Yes, we can do it. If we uh, could jump on our plane to get to our Tampa office. We could fly right out of uh, Kennedy. Yes. Boom. There you go. That's it's all about, all about convenience. Oh, <laughs> well, this was awesome. Thank you for chatting, doing a state of the market with me. Yeah, this was good. I had fun. Thank you for. Well, th thanks for having me. I was really delighted to be, uh, you know, asked to be a part of it all. And, uh, you know, really looking forward to getting and in, jumping into this market for 2022. I think it's going to be a good one. Yes, me too. All right. Well, thanks, Karen. All right, Kelly, take care. All right, real estate rock stars, this is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. 
Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents. And we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every punny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate. How to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.